Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Another episode of the damn podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. And in the background, Duke Machado, the resident (laughs) damn podcast canine partner. Seriously, I shut him out and then, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good watchdog. Let me just tell you. We're here on Monday, November 7th to recap Oregon State's football game against Washington, which went the way of the Huskies 24-21 on Friday. I know we're a couple of days late here in recapping, uh, but between getting back down from Seattle, recovering from a quick illness, and generally, I think, just trying to to gather our thoughts over the last, what, 72 hours almost, uh, we, we took a couple of days to... to to kind of prep for this thing and and we're going to go for quite a while here as we recap the action in what Angie I think was probably Oregon State's biggest game of the Jonathan Smith era and and had the potential to be Oregon State's biggest win in about a decade if if the Beavers could have pulled it off but the Beavers do come up short 24-21 we're going to get to pretty much I mean just about everything we can as far as stats go uh, the game flow as usual uh, a, a couple of injury notes and our, our keys to the game, but also just the impact that this game might have on the rest of the season, the consequences of losing it, um, and, and where this team and, and fan base and coaching staff are at right now. So Angie, let me just check in with you now here as we're a couple of days removed from the game. Just, I guess, a couple of thoughts before we really dive into it on on how you thought that thing played out. Yeah, I mean, I think... Early on, I thought Oregon State was dominating. I mean, I thought even though the score wasn't showing it, I thought Oregon State was kind of having its way with with Washington, able to run the ball at will, um, was really finding success. Really, I thought a, a tale of two halves. I mean, we can we can sit and debate whether those should have been field goal attempts or or touchdown attempts. You know what? You you watch football. I mean, I don't know Carter if you saw any of the Alabama LSU game. I did. But it went into overtime, and and Brian Kelly at home decided to go for, for two, which that was even gutsier. I think, you know, I mean, that was way gutsier because if you lose that, I mean, that takes them out of potentially a a national title chance. So, I mean, that was crazy in my mind, but we can talk all about that, but I did think there, okay, there's two things and one's more big picture, one smaller picture, smaller picture. I do think the Husky coaches outcoached Oregon state coaches in the second half. I thought that the Husky coaches came out with a better, made better adjustments than Oregon state did big picture. This team is a good quarterback away from that elite level. I think that's fair to say. And something that we've kind of debated the last couple of weeks, but now after what four starts of the Bengal Branson era, uh, a couple of games of chance null in the beginning of the year, I think we're at a point now where it's pretty simple to say, yeah, Oregon state's not getting the kind of production it needs out of the most important position on the field. And if it, were to get that kind of production, the Beavers could be like, they could be a one loss team entering the the final quarter of the season, which 
you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, I, I suppose, but that really is how close this team has so come and, and continues to be to reaching that next level. And, and Carter, think back. Okay, think back. I, I was thinking about this yesterday when I wrote She Said. You and I, fall camp, we kept talking about how good the defense was, and then we were kind of like, well, is but remember how, how much the offense struggled to move the ball, period, like that first scrimmage. Yeah. We just thought, okay, the defense is ahead of the offense. It's all making sense, though, now. I mean, yes, the defense is much improved, but the offense really is just not quite there, and it's, it's quarterback. And it's not going to matter whether it's Ben Gobranson, Chance Nolan. Um, this team, I, I just think, is a good quarterback away from, you know, and you can, you can debate whether they, you know, another wide receiver, an edge rusher. All yes, I, I agree. But for that next step to happen, to, to be in that elite, to be up there in that discussion, that's that's kind of I think big picture where we're at right now. Fourteen offensive points for the Beavers on the road against Washington, seven via the defense for that twenty-four to twenty-one loss at Husky Stadium. So you drop that game. It's, it's a Friday night. It's a windy, cold, dry actually night in Seattle. Uh, and it's a game that, you know, I think a lot of Oregon State fans and and a couple of us at Beaver Blitz and the whole team expected to go up there and 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 to pull off one of those kind of monumental landmark type wins for Jonathan Smith and company. But you come out with the loss, snaps a three game losing streak. It drops you out of the AP top 25 when the college football playoff rankings come out in about 24 hours from now. The Beavers will not be included on that top 25. So it's a, it's a short stay in the rankings. It's a short stay in the national picture in that conversation. And now it feels like, what, there's three games left in the regular season and then, what, probably a Sun Bowl appearance, maybe an ESPN Bowl if the Beavers continue to drop. I don't think we're going to go out here and predict the Beavers are going to lose their next three games or or even, you know, even two of them. I, I think the future is still bright in the immediate um the immediate aftermath of this loss, but it feels like a lot of the glow of what Oregon state has built to this point has kind of dimmed. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, that's the biggest, that's the, the greatest way of saying it, Carter. I mean, it's the season. It can still be a very, very special season. I mean, right now you're sitting at six wins, get a couple more. I mean, if it's an eight win season, nine win season with a bowl. So, I mean, we, we say that the Washington game was the biggest, if they're somehow able to just, you know, eke out a win over Oregon, um, that would be right up there, but just so close on some of these yet. I, I, and I, I guess it smacked me in the face when I was watching a game. I don't, I think it might've been the USC Cal game on Saturday night and it, they popped up the top, like top teams and it was Washington in that last spot and not Oregon state. So we are, you know, Oregon state now has back to being the also ran and just again, losing that momentum. We talked about that last week about finally getting ranked, finally then needing to take that next step to stay ranked and, and move forward and, and not getting it done. So. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about with that graphic. It was the top five teams in the pac 12. You would have seen Oregon state right there had the Beavers won. And then they flash, you know, the best wins and, and worst losses for all of the contenders in the Pac-12 and USC pops up. And there you see best win, Oregon State. Like the Beavers are just right there on the edge of this conversation. And a win like that over Washington would have cemented them in the conversation, in the race for not necessarily the Pac-12 title, but but for prominence in this conference. It, it does have the feeling of a really disappointing loss. Um 
so looking forward the next what three weeks of the regular season we're going to wrap this thing up and <laughs> less than a month now it's it's flown by but like do you have this feeling of man what's Oregon State playing for right now like you mentioned a, a special season that's still on the table but the expectations going in were to win the Pac-12 title the expectations midway through the year were all right we're going to compete to to the very end for this thing we're going to pick up some big wins along the way and now like none of that is really on the table anymore. So I, I'm just, I don't know if, if I'm necessarily worried, but I, I concern a little bit about is this fan base going to check out or are some of the, are some of the guys in the locker room maybe going to check out? I, I worry less about that than the fan base, but I mean, after a loss like that and with the stakes being quite a bit lower the rest of the way, like it does have a little bit of that. What are we playing for feel? Yeah. Because if you, I mean, what, what is the the benefit? You went out and what? You're a symbol. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't. I mean, so beefs are going to be helped this weekend is parents' weekend, um, so I know it's already a sellout. Um, so that'll that'll help. Although a late night game, it'll be interesting to see who actually shows up. Or not a late night, but a six o'clock game won't be over till you know nine thirty ten. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that crowd sticks around. Um, how rowdy they are. Uh, then Oregon, you know, if if Oregon State can some you know win the next two games, I think that that uh, Oregon game is a big one. And Oregon always is, but if, if they somehow drop one of these, I can see that being a, a game that maybe some tickets start hitting the secondary market because Beaver fans just kind of, like you said, check out. Yeah, and it, I think it's kind of hard to pump yourself up for a game against Cal. It's going to be hard to pump yourself up for a road game against ASU, which has kind of fallen off this year, but... Like you said, you know, if, if the Beavs do go 2-0 and these next two weeks and, and maybe Oregon drops the game to, to Utah or to Washington, all of a sudden you're going to have two very similar teams with two very similar records coming in to this rivalry matchup to close out the regular season. And I, I think that's what can re-energize the fan base and, and re-energize the team and get, get Oregon State back into this national picture. But well, and, for, and the I watched, for the short term, it's it's just not yeah. going to be there. Well, yeah, I, I, like I think I called it in an email I sent out to the Blitz staff today a soul crushing loss. It was, yeah. it did feel kind of like you got sucker punched because right down to the very end, and it, it's a hard one to put. And we'll talk, we'll go game or you know through the game. But gosh, Carter, I mean, like I said, for probably three quarters of the game, it felt like Oregon State, even though they weren't playing great could could eke it out and then even the strength of the team the defense really struggled there in that fourth quarter giving up lots of, of third down conversions. i think they were 61 62 percent giving up third down conversions that's very uncharacteristic now to be fair and if you watch the es you you were there but espn had a magic a major love affair with michael Penix jr like i heard i heard gosh, that, yeah. like i'm surprised that he's not like the first round draft pick because the way they talked about him good quarterback don't get me wrong but um yeah he he did pull some magic out of his hat and uh yeah i, I see a, a comment here brian miller says i'm guessing that they were tired and i old it was dark it was just kind of everything that was going on um but uncharacteristic. And when they went down and scored that last touchdown, that kind of seemed almost like a nail in the, in the coffin. Yeah. Soul crushing is, it's an apt way to put it. I, I think the fan base and, you know, every, everyone who's around this team too could feel it is it just, 
like borderline depressing to lose to lose a game where you feel like man there's so much on the table and we knew that this was going to be a possibility coming in because like we said Oregon State hasn't played a game of this caliber this late in the season in a long time this is all part of that process of building up you want to have losses like this that sting obviously you don't want to lose the games but if you're going to lose them you want them to hurt because that means you're playing for something and that means it means something it's just part of the growing pains of this of this program and and this team's trajectory. Now, I, I think you'll agree with me, Carter, but I do. If this would have been happened to the team maybe last year, or the year before, I would have worried about the team psyche. Mm-hmm. I don't because I, I think the veteran leadership are going to get these guys back, right, focused, and ready. Ca- I mean, Cal and ASU say what you will. I mean, they they aren't great teams right now, but they're still throwing punches. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look at what Cal did against. USC this past weekend gave the gave the Trojans a scare for sure. Yeah. I mean, put up a bunch of points there. But you want to dive right into this thing? Should we? Let's should just we do it. Talked, yeah, we've we've talked big picture a lot, but we yeah. need to we need to highlight how this game played out because in so many different ways. I mean, there are so many different things we can dive into. Yeah, here. A, a game where a lot went well and a lot didn't, and I think all of that deserves to be highlighted. So. Uh, let's let's start with a look through the stat book. So, Oregon State uh, obviously comes up short in the in, on the scoreboard, twenty-one to twenty-four. But the yardage totals, I, I think, tell a, a much, I, I think, a, a more well-rounded story of of just really how unable Oregon State was to move the ball in this game. I mean, the the twenty-one points look great, but only fourteen of those came from the offensive side, and a lot of that is because the Beavers were outgained 398 to 262. And if you are only picking up 262 yards against a Pac-12 team in a conference game in the month of November, you are going to lose nine times yeah. out of 10. Yeah, and especially only scoring 14 points. I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, you can't count on pick sixes every week. So um, you know that that's another stat, though, then flipping it around to something good was that 398 that you would dub because they were, I mean, the defense had a really – Pretty decent game when you look at that number because they had been close to 600 average be- before this game. Yeah, you got to take this thing with a grain of salt, I suppose, because 398 may not look great, but I mean, against a the number <laughs> one passing offense, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but against the number one passing offense in the country to hold Michael Penix Jr. to 298, like that doesn't sound great, but it's solid. And and the Beavers yeah. showed a lot of flashes, showed a lot of flashes, I think, in in pass defense. Let's talk about the run game, though, because yeah. this was really the only thing Oregon State had going for it offensively. Um, on the defensive side, the Beavers did a great job. You know, they held Washington to 100 yards. Um, we didn't expect the Huskies to run the ball a ton, but um, that makes it four consecutive opponents at or below 100 yards. 4.2 yards per carry, that's a solid number. You'll take that. Uh, but then on, on the flip side, it really was the only thing the Beavers could do, and it started with Damian Martinez again. Yeah. Yeah. 82 um, yards in the first half, 74 in the first quarter. I think I texted you in the first quarter and I was feeling pretty good. Um, just how we were, um, Oregon State was able just to run, like I said, at will against the Huskies. Um, look at the, look at the first six carries for Damian Martinez yes. too. He goes 11 yards, then nine, then nine, then 10, then nine, then 26. And yeah. those first two drives, man, <laughs> I, I said, man, if Oregon State can move the ball like this, Washington does not stand a chance because yeah. The Beavers, the key for the Beavers in this game 
we talked about the weather being a factor and and a, a redshirt freshman quarterback in a hostile environment. The key was always for the Beavers to be able to move the ball on the ground. And the way they did it in the first two drives, and, and they scored a, a touchdown on the first one, it, it just felt like, man, if Oregon State can keep this up, they could roll here. And, uh, of course, I you know, the rest <laughs> is history. They didn't keep it up. They didn't, but yeah. Credit to Damian Martinez for coming out with his hair on fire in his first career start and and putting up 82 yards in the first half, like you said, 74 in the first quarter, and and making it look like Oregon State was going to come away with this thing uh, with, with a bunch of points. Yeah, no, it was. And then I, I was a little I, – I, I was bummed from Damian, though, because – he he got the beeves down there twice, and then they they went ahead and let Deshaun Fenwick right. bust it in. Yeah, the Fen- Fenwick had the two touchdowns, which when you think about it, I mean the guy touched the ball five times in this game, had thirty seven yards touchdowns. and two scores. That's pretty efficient. And efficiency <laughs> isn't necessarily the name of the game with Deshaun Fenwick. You know, he's more of a volume guy. But that was an efficient game, and yeah. and to score two times, and and the way he did it on that second one in the Wildcat was pretty impressive too. But how about Jane Griffin? Play. Yes. who sneakily had a solid game. He was the second leading rusher on the yeah. team by volume and yardage. He took eight carries for 38 yards. It's, you know, we talk about the depth of this room. I mean, if, if Damian Martinez wasn't in the mix, I think we'd be talking about Jam Griffin as being a yeah. pretty solid RB1. Um, he had a quietly good game and and the running game all around. Yeah. For, right. for as little as it did in the in the second half. It was a still it was still a pretty good game by 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 all accounts for yeah well those that's, three guys that's where Washington made adjustments so Washington was like okay I mean when you become one dimensional it, it's gonna it's gonna yeah I think he did find the best running back rotation but um, Oregon State cannot afford to be one dimensional and that's what happens when when it happens because then I look down the next offensive stat we're gonna look at is passing yards and Oregon State had eighty seven it's not going to get it done in the Pac twelve. Anywhere. Yeah, on, I mean, it's not going to get it anywhere on 12 of 19 passing 63%. I mean, you look at that and like, that's okay. That's solid. Yeah. It's a fine number for a Pac-12 quarterback, but it was just incredibly inefficient. And that's what the metrics love about Chance Nolan is that he's a very efficient quarterback. He doesn't need a whole lot of attempts and a whole lot of completions to rack up yardage and touchdowns. Bengal Branson being the game manager type quarterback that he is, this is the kind of stat like stat line you can see from him i think back to two years ago the last time oregon state played at husky stadium the score is very similar it was one in the low 20s you had tristan jabia out there another game managing managing quarterback he was held under 100 passing yards and the beavers lost a close one and you know both times it, it was just the lack of a passing game felt like the one thing that held the beavers back and I, i'm curious your thoughts on this angie how much because we've talked about oregon state being a quarterback away how much was on Goldbranson? How much was on the rest of the offense? Because Goldbranson did his part in completing the passes that he threw, but the yardage and the scores were not there. Yeah, I just I think, and and I to, to to his credit too, I don't think that Oregon State offensive line, which we we rave about, and I think they are a elite run blocking O line. I mm-hmm. don't think they did an amazing job pass protection this week. Um, so give give some you know blame to them. Um, there were a couple wide open passes that just, whether the wind picked them up, whether the receiver just didn't get to them. There were a couple that I, I just stand out to me. Um, but again, then you have to give credit to Washington's defense because they did, they basically dared Oregon State to throw and they still couldn't, couldn't complete passes. That's the blueprint to beating Oregon State right now. 
until Oregon State can prove that it'll move the ball with consistency through the air, you just you have to dare them to pass it. You got to load the box. And teams early on in the season did that, and Chance Nolan made them pay. But I don't think we've seen Ben Goldbranson make teams pay for that type of game plan. No, not at all. Um, and and so there's like I, I was thinking about this the other day, and and how does how do you kind of combat that. If you're if you're Brian Lindgren, because I know in Beaver Blitz and the Lodge, there's been a lot of discussion about is it time to change O coordinators? I don't think we're there. I mean, no. I think I think Brian Lindgren is a smart offensive coordinator. I think he's super creative and I love the creativity. What I would like to see, since we are seeing quarterback struggle, we're seeing pass protection maybe not being the best as that it could be. We need to see, and this is what Washington did really well, were some of those little dink and dunk passes to get things going. Um, fly sweep, this is where Mike Riley kind of brought this in to kind of help when you didn't have great receivers or, you know, you, you bring in a fly sweep, but you have to run that fly motion more than twice a game. You, you run it, whether you're running a fly sweep or not, you put a guy in motion just to keep, you know, teams off balance. So there's a lot of different things I'd like to see Oregon State do to maybe help get that passing game and to back defenses up a little bit. But um, I am not in the camp that uh, Brian Lindgren needs to go. I, I, I think back to having Kim Grinnells on on Thursday um, from mm-hmm. Dogman and him talking about Jonathan Smith being kind of the pinata back in the day. And I feel that Lindgren is right now kind of the pinata around Oregon State. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's warranted. Yeah, fair or not. I, I don't necessarily think that uh, that Brian Lindgren is the end all be all of Oregon State's offensive yeah. um struggles right now you can always blame the the play caller you can always blame the guy who's in charge of recruiting the guys who are maybe not performing at at a high enough level but some of it does come down to execution at the end of the day and we, we have seen that rear its head this year for sure i do think again going back to thursday's discussion brian lindgren has some shortcomings whether it's play calling and, and changing things up when one thing's going really well or, or overthinking things. But man, the flashes that he shows in play calling yeah. sometimes we talked about the, the Deshaun Fenwick yeah. touchdown run. I mean, to, to line Coletto up and then to shift him over, use him as a lead blocker and, and give the ball to, to Fenwick. Like that is, that is prime Brian Lindgren, Jonathan Smith offense right there. And it, it scored Oregon state points. So for as many frustrations as there may be, Brian Lindgren is not the only problem with Oregon State's offense right now. He he could very well be one of them, and I guess at this point we have to say that he is because he has cost Oregon State yeah. a couple of times, but he is not the reason Oregon State lost this game, and in my opinion, it's, it's just the fact that Oregon State doesn't have great quarterback play, which again does come back to Lindgren, but he's not yeah. the only guy recruiting quarterbacks, and, and yeah. he's not the only one you know who's responsible for the way they play. Um, there are other pieces that need yeah, to be addressed a, as well. And but, I don't think, and I don't think that firing Brian Lindgren is going to change some no. of this stuff. And and that goes right back to my, probably my biggest disappointment so far of this year because of the quarter, quarterback play is I honestly thought with coach Smith and coach Lindgren kind of leading that quarterback, recruiting the quarterback room, that recruiting would have been better than it is at this mm-hmm. point in the, in the program. Yeah, and I think it's something that we'll probably talk quite a bit about in, in the offseason is, all right, well, what can Oregon State do to elevate its play offensively right away? Transfer transfer portal quarterback comes to mind. Um, 
but you know, I, I do think you have to look, I think you have to take another look at the offense and say, how can we move the ball when we're not handing it off to Damian Martinez? Okay. So think do, about do you this. Change talk the about... playbook up. Do you, yeah. do you, you know, do you call plays that you haven't done before? Like, what do you do? This is the off season where the money is going to be made for Brian Lindgren because before he has been leading prolific offenses and, and some of the criticisms have been, you know, like they left a few points on the board. Well, so what they scored 35, this is the year where it's cost them. And so this is the make or break off season for Lindgren. He's not at a point of being fired right now, but if he does it again next year, if he can't fix the problems that we saw this year, that's when we start to have the discussion. Yeah. And, and something to think about. So, I mean, we are in an age of transfer portal. Okay, especially mm-hmm. at quarterback. So thinking about the top teams in the conference, Oregon has a brand new transfer quarterback. Utah has a transfer quarterback, has been in the system for a couple of years. Um, UCLA has a guy that's been in the program like 10 years, but um, Washington has yep. a transfer. Washington State has a transfer. Arizona Cal. has a transfer. Cal has a transfer. ASU has a transfer. I mean, really, the only schools that do not currently have a transfer QB at the helm is Oregon State, Stanford, and Colorado. To be fair, Chance Nolan did transfer in from junior college, but uh, to your point, that's you know, it's different. That's not that's the, different. That's not the point you're making here. Yeah. Um, JT Daniels playing at Oregon State would would fit that mold of of what you're talking about. I wonder if he's having second thoughts now that he's been benched and he's life isn't so good. I mean. I think about if he would have chose Oregon State just and led them to maybe some bigger thing. I mean, you can sit and second guess all you want, but I'm just wondering what his thought process is now. Yeah, we could second guess the Beavers being undefeated if JT Daniels was the quarterback in this offense right now. Um, Speaking of the offense, turnovers, Turnovers. not a problem in this game. Uh, the Beavers did fumble on the the hook and ladder play at the end of the game, but that was their only turnover of the game. Ben Goldbranson, just kind of fumbled an exchange on that first drive, but the Beavers recovered. Um, so turnovers not a factor in, in Oregon State not being able to score, which that was kind of the bugaboo early on in yeah. the year. Now it's it's just you know they're they're inefficient, they're ineffective. Um, but defensively, how about the turnover that Oregon State forced? Easton Mascarenas Arnold, thirty-seven yard pick six, felt like it could be a game changing play, and at the time it kind of was because it the was. Beavers needed points before the break. It, it really um, kind of negated uh, those two missed potential field goals. Totally. So you're like, okay, that, that makes up for that before Oregon State really went completely dry. Totally did. Uh, one more stat category to highlight before we do some game flowy type stuff and, and keys to the game. Um, pass rush and run defense. The tackles for loss, the sacks, the quarterback hurries just not even remotely there for Oregon state. And I think that is, we can, we can look to third down defense. We can look to the lack of a passing game, but man, the fact that Oregon state could not pressure Michael Penix jr. One of the key factors in costing Oregon state this game. And that was what, that was both of our key to the game Yeah, for this game. And they didn't, and and Smith addressed that a little today and just kind of said, well, we, we want to, you know, they had some good receivers and we didn't want to, you know, necessarily, leave them open and leave the back end by bringing more people, but it would have been nice to get a little more pressure on him because the plays they did get a little pressure on him. He made bad decisions and, and, you know, how to throw the ball away. But when they did get pressure, it wasn't even enough to, to no. like log something in the stat book. They had no sacks, no official quarterback hurries. Right. You got the two tackles for loss, which was indicative of Oregon state stepping up in the run game, which it has for, 
the last few weeks. And, and it's funny, we talk about the run d- defense now, like what, once a week in discussion, like this yeah, is not yeah. even for so many years. It was man, if Oregon state can, can improve in the run game on defense, like it'll get over the hump here we are. They've arrived. Yeah. Um, so those two tackles for loss show up there for sure. But man, I, I, the Beavers just could not get to Penix. And I, I think that cost them some points, especially on those drives where the, the Huskies were picking up third downs and, and moving the ball with 10 plus play drives. That's the kind of time when you need to get some pressure there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the other side, protection, I thought was, you, you talked about it not being great. I thought it was okay. Three was tackles okay. for loss and, and one sack with no quarterback hurries. You look at the guys who are, are rushing Goldbranson. Yeah who we hyped up as the best edge rushers Oregon state will see this year one sack and no quarterback hurries. You'll take it. It's not like Gil Branson was like entirely comfortable back there, but they didn't get home, which is, yeah. I, yeah. I guess really all you can ask. And for. I think part of it too, is just Gil Branson still learning his comfort and, and learning to find his comfort spot in the pocket. So um, maybe he looks a little more frazzled than maybe a more veteran veteran quarterback would. We're going to move on to the game flow section of this podcast. But first, I mean, Angie, the discussions that we've had in the first half of this episode have been going on nonstop since game day in the lodge at Beaver Blitz. I mean, the discussions between fans and, and you know, the members at Beaver Blitz it has just been off the charts all year. But especially after losses like this, it, it can get heated at times, but the analysis is great. And, yes. and for fan analysis, I mean, I can't think of a better place to go than, I mean, I guess maybe Twitter, but... Yeah, Beaver, even Beaver that. Blitz as Beaver Blitz is the most like knowledgeable discussion yes. you're going to have with we have former coaches. We have players, former players, former pa- or parents, former parents. You know, I, I I remember at some boards on other platforms, um, free, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram type things, and to see kind of the misinformation there, like you know, fans that think that, and I'm just like so bad. I want to be just like either set them straight or say just get to the lodge because so much. I get. I just want to say thank you to the lodge members because your your insight is very intelligent. We still continue to to smash numbers in the subscription space at Beaver Blitz, and we're getting there on YouTube as well. Thank you to everyone who is watching us live right now. We are so close to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Please help us get us there. Maybe by Thanksgiving. I mean, okay. that's it's a landmark. We're we're trying hard to get there, and and we're trying to to up our content game on YouTube to um to warrant those subscription numbers. So if you're watching us live right now on the damn podcast on YouTube, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We would appreciate it a lot. Have your friends hit it too. It's easy, and it's free on on YouTube. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
All right. Game flow. Okay. Oregon State starts on a positive note and scored one of its two offensive touchdowns right off of the bat. Deshaun Fenwick punches it in from three yards out, but it was everything that led up to that that made me think, wow, Oregon State could be onto something here offensively against not a great but a solid defensive team in Washington with Damian Martinez. Damian Martinez's 39 rushing yards on the first drive. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, like I said, I think I test texted you up in Seattle that first drive and was like, okay, this is good. I'm feeling good. And you, I think wrote back, it's a long game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it was everything you really wanted to see. We saw mm-hmm. and, and those long runs, especially out the gate when, you know, Washington should be fresh and ready to go. I, I was really impressed with what we saw. It just wasn't sustainable, though, unfortunately, no. for Oregon State, because, you know, I, th- I think obviously Washington made some adjustments. But like you said, no, the Beavers got exactly what they wanted on that first drive. Defensively, a strong start, too. Uh, you forced Washington to punt just shy of midfield. And it was a shanked punt because, uh, again, the weather was such a discussion point going into this game. Anytime a team was marching towards the lake, wind was a factor. And, and we saw that rear its head in, in multiple areas. But particularly on special teams, Washington shanked a couple of punts, and it happened on its very first drive with an 18-yard punt to the Oregon State 30. You know, field position wasn't necessarily a huge factor in this thing because neither team was scoring a ton. But, I mean, that's that's kind of where the weather played a, a factor in this yeah. game. And and we're gonna and the next on Oregon State's next possession. This is one of the the stall drives. Yeah. Um, I, I will say weather played a factor too, because the field seems slippery for some reason. Yeah. I Coletto slipped on that last, on his lead block um, on that, the fourth down play. Um, it, it, he, it's like he, he lost his footing, but we saw guys losing their footing kind of throughout the game. So weather played more of a role than I think we thought, or well, we knew going in, but I think seeing that it wasn't raining, I thought, okay, maybe this would be better, but the wet field, the wind, I think it all played a, a little bit of a, not a huge, Part, but it played a part. All right, so let's talk about that turnover on downs there because you mentioned Coletto slipping. He was supposed to be the lead blocker on a third down play on a on a third and one. He slipped. The guy that he was assigned to came in and and stopped the Oregon State ball carrier, who I think was Fenwick on that play. Yeah, yeah. Um, for no gain, which brings up fourth down, and then Coletto himself is stopped. Yes, for no gain on a fourth and long one. So. This is the fourth down where, you know, you're at the Washington seven. It's a chip shot field goal. You're not even kicking into the wind. You feel good about Everett Hayes and his ability to make that. But that's one of those fourth downs where I think we look back on it even after the game and say, man, the Beavers wanted those three points in hindsight, but we're okay with them going for it there because you have Jack Coletto because it's a fourth and one. Like you feel confident with that, like 9.5 times out of 10. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, Jack Coletto, what, I mean, he's, 95%, 98% 95%, 98% from, you know, those types of plays. So I think in hindsight, you know, fans are saying, man, if we kick it both of those times, we probably win this game. Well, like, yeah, but again, aggressiveness is Oregon State's MO. Analytically, it's probably the smart call there. I don't have a problem with that one. We'll get to the second one in, in just a minute. And I I think that one in, in hindsight, we might have, we might have, uh, uh, put on our, our coaching caps and said, Hey, let's try something else there. But I mean, cause uh, I mean, how many times Carter, I mean, I wish I don't, we don't have it down here and I didn't look how many times has Coletto been stopped on like a, 
one, one and a half yard, not many. Yeah, not many. I can think of maybe two, maybe three all yeah. year. Um, but yeah, we'll move to the second quarter here. Washington shanks another punt. So again, it's <laughs> the special teams are being impacted by the weather and Oregon State gets the ball at the Washington 33 prime opportunity for the beavers to score you're thinking man they caught a break here this is your opportunity now you missed an opportunity to go up two scores you get the ball back you have short field to work with you have to get points on this drive right yeah well that's when the the second i guess we will call this one a questionable decision yeah this is this is when the questionable one comes oregon state turns it over on washington's 15 an incomplete pass on fourth and three so let me ask you this, Angie. The offense comes onto the field. You see they're not going to kick what would have been probably a 28-ish yard field goal. Um, were you disappointed before you saw the play? Were you disappointed or excited to see the offense go back out there? Because I thought it was questionable in the moment. I, I thought it was questionable in the moment. moment. Um, but I was kind of like, okay, I mean, I get it. You're trying to make up now for a missed just, you know, 10 minutes ago, um, your last possession. So I. We'll get to it now because I was more disappointed that that was the play call they went with the the yeah. naked boot to the running back. Yeah, it was it was a naked to Damian Martinez who was kind of streaking towards the end zone. Uh, you know, you know that front pylon there in the corner, and it was just it was overthrown. It was going to be a tough play to complete anyways. He had a guy uh, less than a step behind him. I think if you're going for it on fourth and three there, you just, you know, you rely on your offensive line to push it. You go something quick over the middle. Yeah. I don't love the play call, but that's the one where I say, okay, sure. You're kicking into the wind. Sure. Everett Hayes is coming back from an injury, but man, the worst yeah. that's going to happen is you're not going to score. And, and that's, that's to be fair to Jonathan Smith. That's the thought process behind going for it. Worst case, you don't yeah. score the three points isn't guaranteed anyways, but I don't know. I, I looked at that in the moment and I look back on it now and I said, that's three points that the Beavers should have had, want to have, needed to have. And that's the the play call that. Uh, Especially with I three yards. It wasn't like a, it wasn't, it wasn't fourth and one where you right. maybe you try, try again. It was three, maybe a long three at the 15. And at that point you just need to, you want to be up by two scores and okay. You miss a field goal, but nobody's questioning that down the stretch. Yeah. You know, you're, you, you at least tried for more, but, and especially, you know, if I'm looking at analytics, even that's like the big buzzword. Now I, I can't even tell you how many times I heard analytics between NFL and college games this, this week. Um, Oregon state's red zone offense started off. Okay. But it hasn't been as good against better defensive teams. So I almost think you're better off trying to kick the, kick the field goal, go up by two scores and, and keep some momentum going that way. It, it really has fallen off. And, and from just a philosophy standpoint, Anytime you're in fourth and two or shorter with Jack Coletto on your team, I'm okay with you Seriously, going for it. Yeah. I, I really don't even care where you are in the field. You have to have that much trust in the guy at this point that yeah. you, know, you could be on your own 40 in a fourth and one and a half. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if you put Coletto out there and he got it. So like yeah. th that's most of the time I don't question it, but fourth and three, when you're in field goal range, yeah. I, 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 that had, that had field goal written all over it, but we, uh, we, we got to move on. This is, I mean, that's been one of the, the points. <laughs> that's of, the biggest of discussion. discussion yeah. and I, I think you and I are both on board there. The first one was okay. The second one, you'd like to see Everett Hayes and, and the yeah. field goal team come out. 
So that opens up the door for Washington then, because, you know, you're looking at a game that could have been 21 to nothing, could have been 13 to nothing. Had you taken, taken advantage of your opportunities, but now it's, it's still seven up and it's a one score game. And then Wayne Talapapa scores a two yard touchdown, ties it up at seven on a 15 play 85 yard, six and a half minute drive, which was emblematic of some of the defensive struggles that Oregon State had in this game. The multiple third and longs, a fourth and long that were converted on the drive. How much did you think that played into Oregon State losing this game? Not not even just this drive in particular, but the third down defense all game long. Yeah, that I mean that was the start, and it was almost like that that right there that drive was the change of momentum. Yeah, because before that point, it felt like Oregon State, even though they came away empty from those two red zone possessions they still felt like okay Oregon State's still kind of going to roll and then it just kind of was like Oregon State's defense let up a couple times too many and um, then it was like whole new ball game and Washington you could just see the life kind of re-energized on their sideline and then it was taken away a couple of minutes later by Easton Mascarenas Arnold who had that 37 yard pick six like we talked about Kind of a an uncharacteristic play for for Michael Penix Jr., who has been incredible at holding onto the ball, particularly with how much Washington throws it this year. I think he'd only thrown like three interceptions, um, had one of the best touchdown to interception ratios in the country. But Easton kind of steps in front of a pass over the middle. I, I don't know if Penix missed him or if he didn't think Easton was going to be able to get there in time, but he steps in front of it. And then to his credit, a, a pretty nice return too yeah. to, to weave through defenders there at the end and kind of sneak through. Um, a couple of guys to the end zone, 14-7 with 110 left on the half, knowing that Washington's going to get the ball out of the out of the break. It felt like a big time for the Beavers to score and and to to get a lead back that they felt like they probably should have had all first half. Exactly, and like I said, that my feeling watching it was like, okay, that makes up for Oregon State's two two misses and are not going for field goals. Okay, we're back, we're back in business now. That brings us to the end of the first half. It's 14-7 Beavers. And at that point, I'm like, you know, we expected Oregon State to have the lead after the way those first couple of drives played out. Seven points wasn't as large as we thought. But, I mean, I think at that point, the way it played out, you're happy to have the lead. Um, Defensively, they come out strong, force a three and out. Then the Beavs go three and out. And so you're like, all right, this thing's kind of crawling now. And then Washington... It, it, it struck again, and, and this was the touchdown where I was like, okay, the Huskies aren't going anywhere. They're they're playing to win this game. Oregon State's not going to have an easy win like we thought it might after the way it moved the ball the first couple of possessions. And again, the way Washington scored on this drive was indicative of some of the struggles the Beavers had. Uncharacteristically, blown coverage from the yeah. secondary. Jack Westover on a, what, third and goal from the 24 Yes. Gets behind Rajon Wright, gets behind the, the safeties, and is wide open in the end zone. He was wide well. open. And like, we're saying, how? How does that how? happen against the best secondary in the Pac-12? So was that Ryan Cooper, I think, that maybe missed that assignment? No, it was it was Rajon. I, okay. the, the nice thing about sitting up in the press box at Husky Stadium, which is on the eighth floor, um, okay. it's, it's about as high up as it gets as far as press boxes go in the Pac-12. You get the all 22 on every play. Okay, like, okay. You can see everything that happens. You can see like five miles down across the lake if you wanted to. Um, and what happened on that play was Washington kind of, the Huskies do this thing offensively that that messed with Oregon State a couple of times. And they, they shipped multiple guys right before mm-hmm. the snap. 
Um, you know, oftentimes in Oregon State's offense, you'll see maybe the running back go from one side of yeah. the, the quarterback to the other, or, or maybe, um, you know, a receiver starts in the slot and goes out wide. But you don't see the wholesale formation changes like you saw in Washington's offense. And that happened on that play. And I don't know if Oregon State was in zone. I, I It looked like they were in zone the way that, that Wright let the guy go by him. Um, but they put three receivers uh, to the right of, of the, the O-line and Oregon State only had two guys covering them. And so it was just, it was kind of a scramble at the end and, and Westover ended up behind right. Yeah. I saw, I saw him blast past right. And then I saw Cooper trying to, trying to make up the safety, but it was too yeah. late. Uh, Oregon state did respond to that, to the Beavers credit felt like we were going to be in for a, a dogfight from that point forward with Deshaun Fenwick scoring the 19 yard touchdown that we talked about earlier. The great play design. I said, after that play, man, Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren have to be like internally smiling, celebrating. They're not going to show it. Lindgren might in the box, but Smith certainly wouldn't on the field. Um, that was one of those. Okay. We've had that in our back pocket all season and, and we just used it to perfection. Um, but the play was set up by a, a key penalty uh, for Washington on third down, they actually sacked Ben Branson, yeah. but they pulled his face mask. And, and so, you know, the Beavers catch a break there, but to their credit, they, they take advantage of it, with that drive staying alive, drive staying alive and, and they score off of it. The lead didn't last very long. Telepapa scored his second touchdown of the game uh, to, to tie it up at 21. And then Angie, the lights turned off. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it literally happened. So if, if you weren't, at the stadium, you, you don't necessarily uh, get the get the full experience here. They set the fireworks off right okay. after Telepapa crossed the end zone, and the second those things exploded, the lights turned off. And I thought, wait, okay, is this one of those like we've got LED lights, we turn yeah. the lights off yeah, to like celebrate the... touchdowns kind of thing? But then I remembered, wait, they've been on all game. Twenty minutes later, we're still waiting for these things to turn yeah. back on. Um, on the on the TV broadcast side, what did they do during that? Because on on the field, the guys were just kind of warming up. They were talking. They treated it um, as as Jake Levingood said, like a another halftime period. But I, what was the viewing experience like at home, and and how much do you think maybe that impacted the remaining ten minutes of this game? And as far as guys locking up, cooling down, I they they talked a lot about that on the on the broadcast and how either team would, um, you know, kind of respond. I did think it would be like another halftime and I thought it would be a good chance to maybe get that defense, excuse me, to regroup, maybe kind of tighten some things up, but um, they kind of showed, they showed them kind of out doing their stretching and, um, and tried to talk. It was a lot of panics and you could tell that this, this crew had just sat and talked with the Washington coaches more because it was a lot of Washington talk and, Kaylin DeBoer and like I said, Penix, it was a, it was the Michael Penix show. I mean, it was, um, they, they did talk a little bit about Damian Martinez, and, but um, no, it was a interesting and it just, it did feel like, okay, Washington just took momentum. And I thought, okay, one of two things, Washington has momentum now, but is this going to, which team is going to come up fired up ready to go? Great point by Brian in the YouTube chat. I thought during that, you know, the guys said they treated it like a halftime. I said, this is a really interesting opportunity for teams to make in-game adjustments Adjustment. because you never have 20 minutes after the third yeah. quarter to say, all right, here's what they did in the locker room. Here's what we need to do to adjust to it. It's normally, all right, this was the first half. We're going to adjust to it. We'll see how they do it and we'll go from there. But 
like it, it created a, another in-game chess match between the coaches. And ultimately I felt like that was where Washington really won this game was the adjustments that they made to completely take Oregon state's offense out of it for one for the rest of the fourth quarter, but also to put together a game plan where you could go later on in the game and put 18 plays together against this Oregon state defense and score a game winning touchdown. So and didn't that didn't I, and I agree. I mean, that's where I said, I think Oregon state coaches got out coached, yeah. um, out schemed, but didn't that last drive feel like last year's game in Corvallis where Oregon state did Not that totally where they good. marched down the field, score the field goal to win the game. Yeah, it totally did. But before that, one play that I want to highlight too, um, we talked about the wind. The wind really started circling and, and kind of whipping yeah. and, and doing some really weird things during that timeout for the lights. Okay. So I'll, I'll reveal the curtains a little bit here. So in the press box, this is an open air press box at, at Husky Stadium. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> and all game long, the wind had just been going, you know, kind of kind of this way. I'm motioning on screen if you're not watching um, across the windows. Okay. But then when the lights turned off, it started blowing into the windows. And I said, okay, so the wind, the wind has shifted. It's doing something that it hasn't all game. And sure enough, on that first drive, after the wind shifted, we see it knock down a pass that could have resulted in like a 60-yard touchdown yeah. for Oregon State. Anthony Gould got behind the defense. Gold Branson, again, this is where you know that that all 22 view from the press box comes in play. You might not have seen it on the broadcast, but Gold Branson put that ball on the money but at the very last second it kind of blew towards midfield and you saw Gould kind of like woo <laughs> out of his yeah. route and um and it and it tailed off and it fell for an incompletion but when the ball left his hands I said this is a touchdown yeah. like Gould's going to the house 60 yards Oregon yeah. State's gonna get a huge momentum changing play here take the lead that was the play that to me we saw the wind impact the game the most yeah. And unfortunately exactly. it went yeah. against Oregon state's favor. Yeah. And that they tried to highlight that, but I would have liked to seen that from the air because they never had a good angle, but that's, I mean, the, the announcers did say, wow, that, that ball left his hand. It was on the money. Mm -hmm. um, and the wind, they said, you just, it just picked it right up and just carried it probably five to seven yards toward midfield. I've never seen anything like it. No, I mean, yeah. at, at least live, I, I've never seen a ball be that impacted by the weather uh, yeah. and it's unfortunate too because like i said i mean he had that thing on the money gould had a, a beeline to the end zone and you know we, we could be talking about a, a different result if oregon state yeah. connects a couple of stall drives and then washington again with that 18 play 92 yard drive over four minutes and 25 seconds of game action to score the game winning field goal very very reminiscent of how this game ended last year at research stadium with the beavers coming out on the winning side but just a just a crushing blow for Oregon State to lose in in that fashion on the twenty two yard field goal. Yeah, it was. I what was what was the mood? I, I know we have video of the post game, but just in that moment, what was it? Quiet? Was it somber? What was was post game? Yeah, really quiet. Um, some shouting in the locker room. Just you know, general displeasure. It's not. It's not like guys were like getting into it with each other. Um, but from what I could hear down the down the the hallway, it was really quiet. And then every now and then you'd hear, you know, like a an expletive shouted out or like a "come on," you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it just a, a frustrated and and somber locker room. I think is is kind of the vibe I got from post game. 
And and especially too with the two guys that we spoke to post game, yeah, uh, Jake Levengood yeah. and Omar Spates. You know, it's the the short one sentence answer. Yeah, they're not the, going to talk even if it was yeah. a win. They're not going to say much. Yeah, I, I think that that stung in the locker room pretty hard, for sure. Um, let's turn things around and talk about what well went yeah. what went well for Oregon State. Um, we talked about Damian Martinez. This is the third game in a row the guy's gone for over a hundred yards. I mean, he's arrived. Like yeah. he is, he's the guy. There's no more. Okay, let's give it to Deshaun Fenwick twenty times. Like Damian Martinez is the guy. Um, three straight games above 100 yards. I, I want to congratulate you, Angie, on saying that he would be the starting running back before the season was over. It took longer what, than I thought. What, what are we nine games in? Yeah, it, it yeah. took nine games to do it, but he did get the start. Because I said three. Friday. I was maybe being a little overzealous. I also said 10 and two record. So, you know, yeah. win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah. Um, pass defense uh, for a, a couple of the breakdowns that has. Yes. I mean, I was thoroughly impressed with well, what Oregon State did for most of that game. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Alex Austin almost had another pick six Yep. during that game. Yeah, on a play that was initially ruled dead afterwards. I mean, it was ruled dead because he dropped it, but um, that would have been called back for a penalty against Oregon State that they actually overturned upon review. So, again, another play that, man, if Oregon State makes that, we're probably talking about a different result. But I want to go back to... Well, first of all, the pick six. This is back-to-back games with a pick six for Oregon State for the first yeah. time in nine years, but also the pass breakups. So, yeah. you know, the passing yards were always going to be there for Washington. They were always going to move the ball. It's the pass breakups and the interceptions, I think, that tell the bigger story on how just just how dominant Oregon State's secondary is. Um, but there was one series where Washington had the ball kind of midway through Oregon State's territory. They're at like the 33. and Jane Grant breaks up a pass. And then on the next play, Rajon Wright breaks up a pass. Yes. And then on the next play, Alex Austin breaks up a pass. And I sat there and I thought, man, what did I say all week? Penix looks one way and he sees an all-conference guy. And he looks the other and he sees another. And he goes over the top against a safety and he finds another. And it played out on that drive. And then just like that, on fourth and long, they convert. And I said, man, that was a missed opportunity for Oregon State. Yeah. And you were right because that's we talked about that Thursday with Kim. and and yep. Kim kind of was talking up Washington's pass or, you know, Washington's pass offense. And, and you said, you're like, yeah, well, you, yeah. You, okay. You're going to look at Rajon Wright, but then you look, if you go away from him, you're going to have Alex Austin or you're going to have Jaden Grant. Yeah. Good call Carter. I thought um, ball security was solid yeah. for Oregon state yeah. again, you know, outside of that, that fumble on the first drive that Oregon state took care of, um, well, really that no, you know that was a no weird concerns one too. There in, in a game no. where we thought that turnovers could play a, a big role in the weather. So what I'm curious though is which who miscued that? Was that a Goldbranson or was that a um, Coletto mistake? Because Coletto was full of block mode and Goldbranson was hand off to Coletto mode. So I'm, I'm anxious. I, I'm interested to hear who. I mean, we probably won't know, but yeah. which, what call was? I, I'm going to go with Coletto just because I know he's he doesn't make many mistakes. That's a question that you're probably uh, better suited to answer because you would have gotten to see the replay a couple of times yes, yes. Uh, in stadium. I, I only got to see it the once, but um, the bad. in all, in all a, you know, a, a game where a lot went right for Oregon yeah. State, to be frank, it was just a, a couple of really glaring weaknesses, which of course, no semblance of a passing game right now. And this is not just a one game issue. This is a, this is a trend. It's a concerning trend that 
I don't know. I, I guess, Angie, how do you begin to try to bounce back from a game like that where you throw for 87 yards, where your leading receiver has, uh, if I've got it pulled up, I think 22 yards, no, 15 yards. Treshawn Harrison, five catches, 15 yards. Okay. Anthony Gould had 22 on two yeah. catches. I mean, nobody is moving the ball at all in the passing game. How do you, with only six days to prepare for your next game, how do you begin to bounce back from something like that? Well, the, the quarterbacks and the receivers have got to like have a little heart to heart here. Um, they can't get much worse, honestly. I say that, but I guess throwing picks would be worse. But um, yeah, I mean, 87 yards is dismal. Third down defense, Washington was 11 of 18, which yeah. you did the math and it came out. Yeah, it's like 61.1. 60. Yeah, 61%, I believe. That's um, not good. That's got to be fixed. But I have faith and, in that. And I mean, half of those half of those were on like third and 10. I there know. was the third and 24 for a touchdown. Uh, I know one of them was third and 11. I think one might have been third and 18. Like it was yeah. Tibisar-esque and something that threw – we're, we're what 13 games into Trent Bray now. And, and something that we have not seen at all from him yeah. is, um, you know, teams well, it getting, getting behind the sticks and, and converting. They started going zone like on third down and they played so much better man to man. I don't, I mean, that'll be a question for Wednesday when, when Trent's available. Do you think it was zone as in like, we're playing prevent because it's third and long. We don't want to let you get yeah, behind I mean, 10 yards or like, what's but the I mean, I think that's the that's the thought process, but they haven't played well in zone all season. When they're in prevent mode, they don't play well at all. I'd rather yeah. keep them aggressive and, um, you know, knock down the ball. Yeah, it does feel like that's where Oregon State's pass defense is is its best. Uh, one more thing before we move on, penalties. Yeah. I thought Oregon State had kind of cleaned that up, but nine for 81 yards. To be fair, Washington had nine for 97. So it's not like it was this lopsided, like yeah. huge advantage to the Huskies. It wasn't. And, and to be fair, we had Mike, Michael Mothershed who loves to throw flags. That's very true. Oh, we didn't even <laughs> talk about the officiating in this game. <laughs> so bad. One quarter, I counted I counted five mistakes in the first quarter. And I yeah. said, this yeah. cannot possibly get any worse. And sure enough, it actually did as the game yeah. went on. During, during the live game thread, I, I can't even tell you how many times people were getting frustrated with the officiating. Just absolutely ridiculous. It has stuff. to be addressed, and yeah, it's it's horrible. Like just, to the point where we were watching NFL last night, and my husband said something about, "Well, isn't that pass interference?" Or I'm like, "I don't even know anymore what a pass interference call is because what the Pac-12 has done to me—they've ruined me." I, I think by I the end of holding was, yeah. I thought I knew. I think by the end of that game, there were five miss. I, I don't even know how you say it, like misannunciations or whatever. Like five things were miss announced whether it was yeah. um a, a play a penalty being assessed to a player that a is not on the roster or b <laughs> wasn't on the field that happened a couple of times in the first quarter alone um the the timeout the phantom timeout yes, that jonathan smith timeout. said after the game and double down today i did not call timeout they just assumed i wanted it and basically called it for me as damien martinez is about to break off a 60 yard yeah. touchdown huge play in that game that yeah. ultimately didn't cost the beeves because they scored on that position anyways. But I mean, again, that's just, that's inexcusable stuff for an officiating crew. If that kind you of stuff was going on like in the SEC, those guys would have worked past that game. Yeah. <coughs> um, a couple of injury notes. Everett Hayes was available. Uh, of, of course, Oregon state's kicker who has been out with a groin injury. He was available for field goals. Jonathan Smith said, 
they just elected not to use him because of the aggressive play style. Um, but it's not like they didn't have trust in him or, you know, they, they didn't think he could kick through the wind. I mean, I mean, the wind did factor into those decisions, but it was like, it wasn't a, Hey, we don't trust him. He's not healthy kind of thing. It was just, we're going to play aggressively. Uh, he did, uh, he did get it on kickoffs though. So good to see Everett Hayes back in the mix for yes. the first time in Pac-12 play. Joel, uh, Joe Golden on the defensive line did not return, even though we had heard that he was getting closer and closer. So potentially this week. Yeah, um, he's day to day. And then since we're recording this on a Monday, I guess we can update yeah. a, a couple of things that Jonathan Smith said earlier in the day. No update on Chance Nolan's status, which to me means that he's practicing, but not in full. Um, and actually Trey Lowe is getting closer to returning. Yeah. So maybe we see him by season's end, get back in that running back rotation, preserve a, a red shirt or, or medical hardship year. And uh, it'd be good to see him get back into that mix, even though I don't necessarily know that they quote unquote need mm -hmm. his production right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, let's touch on our keys to the game and get out of here. How's that? How's yes, that sound? That sounds great. So my key for offense was run the ball. And I am going to say they did a good job with that. Yeah. I mean, 40 attempts, I'd say that's great as far as volume. Um, 175 yards, solid. The two touchdowns, sure, like you like it, but maybe not in the absence of passing touchdowns. Yeah. If you're not going to score through the air, you got to do it on the ground. So and, and the two only, touchdowns is fine, but not the only the downside, though, too, is that they Washington really stymied the run second half. Yeah. Uh, my key Harder. offensively was to protect the pocket and, and that Ben Goldbranson had to move around and and get out of the pocket if, if necessary. I, I said this just because Oregon State was going up against the best pass rushing team in the Pac-12. Only one sack on Ben. It was a rough one, to be fair. He lost 14 yards on third and long deep in his own territory, a, a play where you cannot take a sack, and, and he did. So it was a costly one for sure, but only one. And that's better than I expected, to be fair. Um, and he actually, he, he, he ran for... Even with that, I think yeah. his game long numbers, you know, the rushing yards weren't terrible because he had positive runs of two and five, one of them for first down. The other was, uh, I'm under pressure. I'm going to escape the pocket. And he made something of it. And that's one thing that, that Ben is sneaky good at in his game. He will never get credit for it. And, and, you know, we can argue maybe he shouldn't because it's not like he's, he's breaking defenses down or anything. But he does have the that ability to to get out of the pocket, and I think we saw him do that. So yeah, he's not resounding. It's 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 a yes for yes. me as far as yes. did Oregon State accomplish that key to the game? Okay, and so we both had a similar defensive key. I wanted to see pressure on Penix, and that was a resounding no. Yeah, um, I, we had no not. pass rush. Oregon State had no real pass rush to speak of. You had generate pocket pressure. Um, yeah, didn't even I, do that. No, no. Cause no quarterback hurries in the official stat total. Um, I, I thought the, the pass rush was frankly horrific. Yeah. It just was non-impactful at all against a veteran line that has some guys who have proven to be very good in, yeah. in pass in pass protection. Jonathan Smith said that too. He's like, you know, we have to, we can sit here and, and talk all day about what we didn't do, but like, to be fair, we played against a good team. Yeah, yeah. You, get, you have to give Washington yeah, credit. Yeah, you have to give them credit. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, you the only thing you can control is is your own production, and and Oregon State just did not produce in the pass rush at all. No, and so Monday night, Carter. Guess what yeah. tonight is? The return of 
Do we even talk about this before we get out of here? Does anybody want to know that men's okay. basketball is men's back? Men's basketball is back. Nine o'clock. I will probably not make it through the whole game. I'm just going to say it. Yes. Um, no official game thread. If you're in the lodge, talk about it. Carter and I um, will kind of return to basketball centric after football season. Yeah, there's only so much we can do right now. And I'm certainly not about to drive down to Corvallis for a 9 p.m. tip. Um, I, I expect coverage of this men's basketball team across the board to be really down until they start winning games and, and start playing games at realistic times of the day. <laughs> I've got some, <laughs> I mean, 9 p.m. To, to open a season after you won three games. I, I expect maybe 2,000 people tops maybe to be at Gill. And, and about 95% of those will be students. So, yeah, yeah. But if, if you do want basketball coverage this yes. season, we will have it at Beaver Blitz. It's yes. just we are totally swamped with the football right now, and uh, men's basketball is still in prove-it mode in our books. Anything else you want to add, Angie? No, I'm excited to see a bounce back. I'm heading down. I will be there this weekend, parents' weekend, or I hear dad's weekend, but, um, yeah, I will be down. Eric's going down. Gonna I be believe fun. I'll be there too, as, as per usual, at Research Stadium on Saturday, 6 p.m. kickoff, Oregon State versus California. We're going to be back to preview that game, most likely with Jackson Moore, a great friend of the pod, because he covers and, and publishes for about half the teams in this league, it seems like. <laughs> uh, we'll probably get him to join us on Thursday. Uh, but until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado1. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you on Thursday for another episode of The Damn Podcast. Thank you.